When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 106, and we are recording on November 14th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello! I don't know why I said it like that. Book Riot! <laughs> <laughs> That's <is> weird. Words! <laughs> how do they work? I, I am on a lot of Dayquil, so oh. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to go, but it's going to be an adventure. Whee. Last night, I was on a lot of NyQuil, and I started oh. randomly texting Rebecca, like, I was reciting via text Edgar Allan Poe poetry. Amazing! I was like, "What did I? What did I do?" <laughs> anyway, what are you reading, Jen? I my reading has been all over the place because I guested on all the books or this week, and so I was like reading new releases, but also reading for the Sci-Fi Fantasy Newsletter, but also reading for this show, and it's like all got jumbled. But in between all of that, I'm st- we're still working on our Tamara Pierce uh, reread for um, Insiders, so I'm on Wolf Speaker, which is the second book in the Immortals series, and it's funny because. I think if I had read these when I was a kid, they would be my favorites. Like I read mm. Alana as a kid, but then I didn't read any of the other ones until I was in my, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties probably. And so I have like different feelings about them now. Um, and yeah, so the Dane books are fun. I just, well, anyway, this is a spoiler. <laughs> I won't say what my problem is with them, but I have, I have a problem with the May December relationship in them is what I will say. Yeah. But that's like <laughs> me being a grown up and like being like, no, cause you know, those are all over YA, like all over. Like, think about, like, Buffy, for example. Like, Buffy and Angel. Like, the dude is, like, 118. Yeah. Like, he should not be dating teenagers. <laughs> but again, grown-up brain. Uh, what are you reading? I just started Get in Trouble um, by Kelly oh, Link, who I have not read before. Um, <gasps> really? I know. I know. Oh, I know. my it's God. I'm exciting. so excited right now. This is <laughs> it, the best news. <laughs> it is very exciting. Um, I read, I'm only one story in, it's a short story collection, as far as I can tell, they're kind of, I don't know what you, like, fabulous, sort of, fantastical um, stories. The first one, I'm pretty sure is supposed to be about the Fae, but in, like, the hollers of Western Virginia, or West Virginia. It reminded me a lot of that, um, oh, what was the, what was the name of that book that, I just read it and recommended it on the show a couple of weeks ago, it was (laughs) fairies in Tennessee, and fantasy oh the hum and the shiver it reminded me of that a little bit but um, but I'm only one story in so who knows how the rest of them are but I'm very excited I I enjoy her on Twitter and everyone I know loves her so yay (laughs) Kelly Link okay so how the show works Uh, as I mentioned this is a show for personalized reading recommendations so you send us your reading recommendation requests whether you you know you're traveling somewhere and want to read something about that area you need something for your book club um, a gift for the upcoming holiday season whatever just you can email those to us at getbooktobookwrite.com or you can drop all your questions in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please note that in the first line uh, if you're using the form or um, in the subject line of your email if you are emailing them to us. And that is my story. 
Jen, tell us about our giveaway. Yes, we have a bookstore giveaway going on. You could win a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. You get to pick. Oh my gosh, so exciting. Um, And the giveaway is open until November 26th, so you still have time to go enter. You can enter at bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, and it is also open internationally. So if you live not in the United States, but have a favorite local bookstore, we will figure out the exchange rate and make it work. Um, So yeah, you all should definitely enter and as we have said before, I really hope that whoever wins this <laughs> posts pictures of their haul. Like, I need to see what five hundred dollars at your bookstore looks like. I need yes. to see it, yes. especially if you like if you've got like a Powell's or something yes. like that where you could use it like at a used bookstore. Yes. You could get so much stuff that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so we do have a few two pieces of feedback from listeners who recommended some books for questions from last week. Um, last week there was that question about what require or what books would you require freshman going into college read and I forgot to put down the names but so, I'm sorry but these were in the comment section so you can go look in the comment section of the episode um, but somebody recommended for that question weapons of math destruction which is a great title <laughs> puns um, they say I think it would be great for opening up discussion about the role of technology and big data in our lives and students in particular are basically living in a technological world which is true um, so that's a great rec and then somebody else one of the other questions from last week was um, books that incorporate Spanglish on the page and so we have a recommendation for a Spanglish poetry book, which is Luis Alberto Urea's The Tijuana Book of the Dead. So go check that out, and thank you for your feedback. All right, um, we're going to do our first question. I will tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will get rolling. Go, go, Gadget Jen. Oh, um, but we should tell people how they can submit questions if they want to first. I did. Did I not? Did oh, we? goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> did we did miss we? it, or did I miss it? I, I don't, don't know. know. What's Take happening? Cool. Take cool brain. So in case I didn't mention it, you can submit questions to our email, getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can put them in the forms at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And that is how you send us questions. Okay. <laughs> you might have said it twice. Who knows? Anyway, it's like a, it's a tired day here at Get Booked Headquarters. Um, all right. So our first question is from Rebecca, who says, I am a middle school English teacher, and I have a student looking for book recommendations. She has read To Kill a Mockingbird, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, The Giver, would you reach me and enjoyed them all? She seems to like books that tackle serious social issues as well as science fiction. Our school library is a little outdated and doesn't offer much in the way of books with diverse characters, so I'd like to direct her to something more current and with diverse characters. Okay, so our first sponsor before we get rolling is The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty, and this is a book that takes place in 18th century Cairo. The main character is a con woman, which is, I love that. I love that so much. I love books about con people for some reason. <laughs> anyway, her name is Nari. Um, she's a con woman in the streets of 18th century Cairo. She does not believe in magic. She relies on her wits and her ability to heal people to survive, um, not magically. But, but then she accidentally summons a mysterious jinn warrior. Whoops! During one of her cons. And of course, that forces her to question everything she believes about reality and her life and where she lives. Um, and so this warrior, this jinn warrior that she has summoned, tells her that across the hot, windswept sands of the Middle East lies uh, Debabad, which is this, the legendary city of brass in this book, which is the home of six jinn tribes. And it simmers with all of these old resentments that are now starting to threaten Nari's ancestral home. Um, so if you are a fan of books like The Golem and the Genie or The Grace of Kings or Uprooted, then this is a great read for you. This is a debut novel. It was inspired by the author's really extensive research into 18th century 
Middle Eastern folklore and culture and history. And um, if you know Lonnie Taylor, who is, of course, a very well-known YA author, she called it an extravagant feast of a book, spicy and bloody, dizzyingly magical, and still somehow utterly believable, which is a great blurb. Well done. Mm-hmm. Good blurbing skills, Lonnie Taylor. Um, so go check that out. That's The City of Brass by, a- by S.A. Chakraborty, and thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay. Um, middle school English teacher question. So I picked Furthermore by Tahara Mafi for this question, which is a great little middle grade book that I love so much. Um, and it's not science fiction. It is fantasy. Uh, but I think that based on these three likes that she'll really like it. So the main character in this world's name is Alice, and she lives in this fantasy land that is, like, super colorful, like, literally very colorful. There's a lot of... Uh, it's magical, and a lot of the magic is based around color, um, but Alice herself has no color. Like, she is silver-haired, palest of pale, white skin, um, and does not seem to possess any sort of magical ability. And so she's 12 years old, and at this age, there's this big, you know, ceremonial test that every child has to go through where they exhibit their magical skills and then are given some sort of role in society. It is very gibberish in that in that way. Um, so when she does her... Um, exhibition of her skills she kind of falls flat on her face because she doesn't have any magical skills and she thinks that she'll make it up by like dancing which she really loves to do and that that will be enough but of course it doesn't so she is sort of kind of banished a little bit from her community they like pat her on the head and they're very like oh that was cute go away from us now kind of <laughs> way um and then her one of her friends oliver who is older and has been given a task based on his magical skills and his task is to take her into this magical land called Farrenwood to find her father to locate her father who went into Farrenwood years ago three years ago before the book starts and never came out so since she has no use to this community that she can think of she goes with him to find him um, so it's a book about family and finding relation, recovering relationships um, with people you love that have maybe fallen to the wayside a little bit about disappointment her mother is a little bit um at the least she's neglectful. You can make the case that she's abusive in the book. So that's a serious thing that's being dealt with. Um, but also the relationship between Alice and Oliver. Oliver's her friend, but he's a little bit older than her. And he's very condescending. Like, he talks to her um, like she's dumb a lot. And he lies to her really frequently. But he does it out of this, like, I'm protecting you. Or this is for the good of the mission and all of this kind of thing. But she never stands for it, which I th- think is very rare in a lot of middle grade novels. A lot of times you get these female characters who are rescued by these boys and are, are spoken to very patronizingly and never it, like it's never called out on the page. But Tahara Mafi is like very specifically doing a thing about how boys talk to girls in this book, um, which I think is really valuable. So it's fun and magical and all of that. But there's a lot of important stuff going on. So that's Furthermore by Tahara Mafi. I picked The Lotteries Plus One by our beloved Emma Donahue. She's amazing. Um, This one is on my TBR, but I was thinking about it anyway, and then it just got an amazing write-up on the site. I will link to the review in the show notes of the post. But um, what this is, is it is... So it's it's about, like, a very different kind of family. Um, The main character, whose name is Sumac Lottery, adorable, um, is nine, and she She's the good girl, quote unquote, of her very large, very unruly family. Um, There are four parents. There are children adopted and biological. There are a ton of pets. And they all live in this big giant house called Camelottery Ponds. (laughs) Are there puns? Oh, my gosh. I just love everything about this, right? (laughs) Like, it's so great. Um, 
And the sort of crux of the story is that one of their grandfathers is suffering from dementia and is going to be coming to live with them. But this is a grandfather who does not approve of the way that this family exists, basically. And, like, hasn't... He fell out with his son, who's one of the parents, like, a really long time ago and hasn't been part of their lives, and now he's coming in. And so it's it's... It's, you know, it's a, it's about, um, it's about queer families. It's about adoptive and multicultural households. Um, it is about like, how do we deal with family when they don't approve of us? Um, and one of my favorite lines from the review that I'm going to link to is, um, everyone's pretty weird, but everyone loves each other anyway. Like that just, that's like, that gives me all of the heart feels. Um, so I think that this would be a good book for uh, students because, you know, like we don't see a ton of stories about different kinds of families in the real world like this. Like this is not a thing that people that you see regularly. And but like these are families that exist in the world and they should be reflected on the page, too. Um, and it just yeah, like I, I have been a fan of Emma Donahue's writing for a really long time. I was really excited to see that she was writing for a middle grade audience. Um, it's it's high on my TBR. I'm going to get to it soon. And it definitely seems like something that would be a good fit um, for what you're looking for. So that's the lotteries. Ooh, I can't talk today. The lotteries plus one by Emma Donahue. And it has illustrations by Caroline Hill Hadilaxano. I didn't say that right, but sorry. I tried. <laughs> I did try. Um, all right. That's my story about that. Okay. Question two is from Betsy, who says, I'm having baby number three in December, and I'm looking for books to read during the middle of the night feedings. I somehow missed this opportunity with my first baby, but with baby number two, a few years ago, I read so much, including at least one of Ruth Freckles' memoirs, Molly Weisenberg's Delancey and the Homemade Life, and also a bit of romance. I'm open to fiction, nonfiction genre, etc. My main guidelines are fairly easy reads, no complex character lists or maps, nothing too literary or high-minded, conducive to reading in short bursts, nothing scary, dark, bloody, or gory, cozy and charming but not cheesy, and definitely no sick or dying babies, children, moms, or disasters, apocalypses, or tragedies. <laughs> so what would you suggest for me to read in the middle of the night as I nurse my new baby? Okay, so, oh, congratulations. Yay. Um, I picked The Pioneer Woman by Reed Drummond, which has the gr- a great um, subtitle, which is Black Heels to Tractor Wheels. And I don't, I feel like I do not need to explain to you who the pioneer woman is, but just in case you don't know, she's a really famous food blogger. Well, she started out as a food blogger, and now she has a show on the Food Network, um, and she's got several cookbooks out. Uh, and this is her memoir. So uh, Ree is from mm, Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure. She grew up in Oklahoma and was not like looking forward to staying there. She wanted to move to Hollywood and become an actress. She went off to, to like the big city and went to college and all of that. Um, and then she came back home, I think it was for the holidays or something to that uh, effect. Um, and then she went out with her girlfriends um, to a bar, like in the middle of nowhere, and meets this very tall, rugged cattle rancher who lives a few miles away from the small town where she grew up. Falls like insta love, but real life. <laughs> and then they got married. Um, she moves out to his cattle ranch and starts having babies and making food and like serving cattle ranchers when she had just left like a corporate job. Like it's very, you know, black heels to tractor wheels basically. Um, and I picked this because there's a lot of really great, um, chapters about young motherhood, which it sounds like you're kind of in, in the middle of all of that sort of toddler baby life. Um, and she's very relatable. She's not like the world's greatest writer, but it's, 
it's engaging and funny. Um, she doesn't like gloss over any of the the silliness or the hardship that comes with being uh, a mother to small kids. Um, there is a lot of like recipes and stuff in there. I noticed that when you uh, listed the books that you liked at the beginning of the question, you talked a lot about food memoirs. So there's a lot of food going on. There's certainly no um, apocalypses <laughs> in this book. So it's easy and charming and kind of silly. Um, and then, you know, you can go read her cookbooks. And I really like the Pioneer Woman, so <laughs> there you go. I do, I do, I do. She's great. So that's the Pioneer, Wo- Pioneer Woman by Reed Drummond. Also, we've talked about this on the Insider Slack, maybe for like an entire afternoon, but her Sunday stew is amazing. Mm. And you serve it over mashed potatoes, and I really recommend that you go make that. And that is the end of that weird rant that I did. <laughs> her <laughs> recipes are great. Um, giant and involve like a ton of butter, but really, really Yeah, good. not healthy. Not so much. Nope, not There's like not- three pounds of stew meat in that, in that <laughs> stew recipe and then you serve it on a bowl of mashed potatoes so because you know obviously. live your best life yeah that's right um okay i picked a romance for you yay um i picked take the lead by alexis daria it's the first in a new series called dance off um and I'm, i enjoyed yes. this book so much um i've met alexis in person she's super nice so i was really excited for this book to come out and it is about wait for it it is about a dancer on a TV celebrity dance competition named Gina Morales. She's been on the show for fifth season. She's one of the professional dancers. And in this latest, and she's like, she really wants to win the season. Um, she hasn't had a win yet. She's come close, but not one. And um, she gets assigned a partner for this coming season who is a reality TV star from a show where like, it's like this big, like sort of, blue collar family living in Alaska, like chopping their own wood and shooting bears and like doing the outdoorsy life. So he's this like basically like reality TV lumberjack. Yes. Like, yes. Right. Yes. Yes. So I'm here for this. So she gets assigned him, but along with the assignment, She's getting pressured by the producer to have a quote-unquote showmance, like to pretend to be into this guy for ratings. And she is not going to do this ever because Gina has been fighting the like sexy Latina, like just sleeps around and has fun stereotype her whole life. She's like, that's not who I am. I'm a serious dancer. I am not going to do this. You can't pressure me. And the producer is basically like, well, if you don't win this season, like you don't have a job anymore. So she's struggling with like this pressure from the producers. He like hates LA and he also is hiding a secret. Um, And he's falling for Gina throughout the course of the show, but he like can't get too close to her because she might find out the thing and then like everything would be terrible. So of course they are falling in love, but don't want to be falling in love. There's, a lot of dance like sections of the book which is delightful for me like I'm a diehard so you think you can dance fan and even though this is more like dancing with the stars which is not one that I'm as in love with like it's still it's still um scratches that dance itch I have and and it was just so fun the characters are so real um even though they're like on a reality tv show like they they have real feelings they have real problems and it was just so much fun and romances are great for picking up and putting down especially because a lot of them like this one switches narratives so you get some from Gina's perspective and some from Stone oh yeah his name is Stone by the way you get some from Stone's (laughs) perspective and so it's like perfect for late night like I just want to read one one or two chapters before I go to sleep. It's great. So that is Take the Lead, the first in a series um, called Dance Off by Alexis Daria. 
Oh, and it's me again. Okay, so our next question is from Aaron, who says, I'm looking for books about the Civil War for my father's 60th birthday. My mother is taking him on a trip to Gettysburg, and I want to give him some books that will go along with his trip. He prefers nonfiction and has already read and enjoyed Killer Angels. I was going to get him a copy of Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, but was hoping you might have some other great recommendations. Amanda, what you got? Okay, well, I want to co-sign Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, because it's really great. Um, but I picked The Passing of the Armies by Joshua Chamberlain, which is amazing. Um, so if he's already read Killer Angels, then he'll already be familiar with Joshua Chamberlain, who was a Union uh, colonel? I don't, don't remember his rank. Um, but he was a member of the Fifth Corps, and during Gettysburg, he was, he, I mean, he was responsible, you could make arguments for the fact that he may have been responsible for the Union winning that battle and therefore winning the war, but um, he was in charge of Little Round Top, the defense and the Union's left uh, left flank. Anyway, so he features really heavily in Killer Angels, and the passing of the armies is his account of the last two weeks or 15 days-ish of the Civil War in Virginia. So in the end of the war, the Fifth Corps was in Virginia defending Petersburg from... Um, well, trying to take Petersburg from Lee. And uh, he writes about that. And there's a lot of like inter-army inter, inter um, squabbling <laughs> and one-upsmanship, which of course like the Civil War is sort of famous for. And this is his internal perspective on all of that. And then, but what you're really kind of reading this book for is like the last couple of chapters, which um, Joshua Chamberlain oversaw at Appomattox, the Union, or the, um, the Confederate surrender, like after... After they signed all the papers and stuff, he was put in charge of, like, standing there and watching the Confederate soldiers literally put their guns in a pile. Like, that was his job. So his account of that is really amazing. And then after the war is over and the Army of the Potomac goes back to D.C. and does, like, a muster or whatever it's called, like, a review parade, um, his account of that is, like, very stirring and moving. There aren't a lot. I mean, well, no, that's misspeaking. There are a lot of firsthand accounts of... Um, Civil War battles and fighting in the Civil War, but Joshua Chamberlain is so tied to Gettysburg that even though this book itself is not about Gettysburg, I think that somebody who is traveling to that battlefield will get a lot out of it. Um, and plus he writes just like, it's very Dickensian, which makes sense, of course, because it was like the 19th century, um, but he's very like flowery and moving and, and like emotionally manipulative in a very skillful kind of way. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. So that's The Passing of the Armies by Joshua Chamberlain. It's weird to say that you enjoyed a book about war but it's the end of the war so I feel kind of okay I don't know it's great yeah this one is super far outside my wheelhouse um I, happily Tanahazi Coates recently wrote a post um in which he recommended five books uh quote-unquote to make you less stupid about the civil <laughs> war like his tone is real here um but he wrote a he wrote up a bunch of what he considers some of the best sort of like starter or um, like the best books about the Civil War that everyone should have read, not just like for specific scholars, but for anyone and everyone. And his first pick sounded like I then went and looked up reviews and it sounded like a really good one for this. Um, it's Battle Cry of Freedom by James M. McPherson. And uh, Coates calls it arguably among the greatest single volume histories um, of the Civil War. So he's basically the author is looking at all of the Civil War in one book. Um, but according to like everybody, including Coates, it reads like a much smaller book than it actually is. And it has like a brisk narrative pace, which is not something you can say for a lot of like well-researched books about history. <laughs> like that's not a thing often. Um, 
And what's interesting about this book is that it looks at the political, social, and military events, like from, you know, before the Civil War to like all the way through uh, the Union's victory. And, and, and so he's like, he's packing a lot of information. So this is not Gettysburg specific, um, but it is one that will give him the full context of the book um, and comes super highly recommended by a lot of very smart people. So I feel like that is one that he should have in his library. Um, the other thing that's nice about books like this that are so big is that if you are looking in for specific information, you could go and find a section on Gettysburg and then come back to the rest of it. Um, so again, that's Battle Cry of Freedom by James McPherson. Okay, question four is from Tori, who says, Next year I am starting a feminist book club called SFF Femmes that will read science fiction and fantasy books by female authors only, with an emphasis on marginalized and own voices authors. Do you have any recommendations that would fit this criteria and make for great discussion at a book club meeting? Do we ever? <laughs> um, okay, so I picked a book that I have just started, and it is The Blood Print by Ozma Zehanat Khan. Um, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be a series. Yeah, it's the first in the Coruscant archives. Um, so uh, the book takes place in a, in a fantastical universe that is very obviously based upon the Middle East. And in this universe, there is a, a kind of military government organization called the Talisman that has risen up and is really bent on kind of world domination through violence and terrorism. Um, it subjugates women and forces them to cover their hair and their faces at all times, sells them into slavery, forbids anyone from reading. It kind of like outlaws the written word. Is this sounding familiar to you? Like, it's not subtle here. <laughs> um, there's no subtlety. Like, when I'm reading the book, I have to, like, stop myself from inserting the word Taliban into where it says talisman. Like, it's not. Okay. Um, so on the opposite side of this, you know, struggle for good and evil are the Companions of Hera, which is this, like, group of really influential and magical women who have power... Um, that derives from something they call the claim, which is like a sacred scripture, which based on, I haven't gotten to this, like into the part of the book where it goes into the background of the claim yet, but from based on reviews, it's based on the Quran. Um, so their power comes from the claim and they use that. The two main characters, Arian and Sinia use the claim to fight the talisman to um, like the book literally opens with them freeing a, um, a content. Uh, what do you call it? Like a, I don't know, not a band, a group of women who are on their way, being marched off to be sold into slavery. Um, so that's what they do. And so they, uh, their book is about them, you know, trying to defeat the talisman through the use of knowledge and their spiritual beliefs um, and all of that. So, you know, there's the women, powerful women rising up using their, their knowledge and spiritual weapons to defeat the talisman. This is not, I mean, like, you don't need an allegorical map here to see where she's going. Um, but it's so, it's really interesting. I'm liking it so far. And Ozma herself it has a very complex um, kind of story, personal biography, um, but she is Muslim, so it is an own voices-ish, as much as like a book about a fantasy world can be, because this is not reality. Um, but it's very obviously pulling from her own uh, experiences as a Muslim woman. So, and she's like making, she's making statements about religious extremism that I would not read from someone who was not Muslim. I'll put it that way. So that's The Blood Print by Ozma Zehanat Khan. All right. This is the part where, like, I'm shoving, like, imagine me, like, shoving the complete works of N.K. Jemisin and Octavia Butler <laughs> at you. And then also on the top of this deck is Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, which came out this year and is 
I think it might be my favorite debut of this year. I'm just obsessed with this book. Um, it is. It takes place in space on a generation ship. And on this generation ship, instead of like moving forward as they move in the, into the stars, humanity has recreated like basically the worst of itself. Um, the lower decks are populated by the brown people who are have like food rations and energy shortages and not enough supplies. And they are the ones who are keeping the ship running. They're the engineers. They are the, like, they're making sure the food supply stays good. They're basically, like, farming under duress um, inside of the ship. The ship is enormous. Um, and it, all of this is enforced by the ruling classes, which are white, um, and with, like, you know, violence and all of the things that you would expect. Um, and so, you know, the upper decks have, like, swimming pools and, like, you know, massage parlors or whatever. Okay. And in the lower <laughs> books, like, they like they don't have food or medicine. Um, and the main character, Aster, is so interesting. She is a neurodiverse person. I don't know enough to, like, diagnose, you know, but she, she doesn't feel the world in the way that it seems like everyone around her um, responds to it. So she has to try really hard to make herself understood and to understand the people around her. She's also been trained in medicine, so she's sort of the go-to person for everything from like, you know, you need like something for your cold slash you need to have your foot amputated. Like that is how the book opens. She's amputating a kid's foot. Um, so it's not for... If you have like a weak stomach or, you know, are not interested in seeing that kind of stuff on the page, like maybe skip it. But I think there is like, I especially want to read this book with a book group because there's so much to talk about. Um, and Aster is the daughter of a woman who was an engineer who, you know, she lost her mom when she was very young. But her mom left behind all these journals. And one day, Aster and a friend of hers figure out that these journals are actually encoded. Um, so Aster now has to, like, break the code. It's telling her something about, like, the ship as a whole and the ship's destiny and future and, like, what's going on. Like, why they're still in space. Why they haven't gotten to this, you know, planet that they were aiming at yet. Um, and in the meantime, the ship is undergoing a leadership change, which is going to make things a lot worse for everybody on the lower decks. So there's, it's very high stakes. There's a lot going on there's emotionally high stakes and I just think that it is it's beautifully put together especially because there are these chapters interspersed where you get to see just for a brief moment in time what how someone close to Esther thinks of her like it switches perspective and you get one uh like a, a short chapter from somebody else and it 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 ties everything together so beautifully I just I love the structure of this book I love the writing I think it's really fascinating and interesting um and yeah I, I like I would love to read this with a book group so you will have to live my dream for me <laughs> so that's An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon Okay. Oh, it's time for our second sponsor, which is a book called Where Girl and Chimera by C.D. Bell, published by Choosco. This is the second book in a series, and it is about Nessa Kurland, who is like determined to win a college cross-country scholarship. Um, so she is training super hard um, in this forest that is also full of secrets, including uh, a wolf encounter that suddenly leads her into a like 
mysterious transformation. Like, she is not just a human. She is actually now maybe a supernatural being that she did not know. Um, and she has to keep this a secret from everybody except for her closest friend, Brie, who is a were-girl from the first book, Were-girl. Um, and, and it's more than just a supernatural, like, oh, now it's like, now I'm magically something else. Like, the woods are actually crawling with um, contamination, and there's a big corporate cover-up involved, and there's also family secrets. So this is a superhero origin story, um, a feminist one. And unlike a lot of these kinds of stories, the heroine is like tough and strong and gutsy even before she has a magical transformation. Um, and it is also really strongly centered on the friendship between Brie and Nessa. There is romance in the book, but it's really the girl's longtime friendship that powers the core of the story. So if you like stories where there's science and magic, you like supernatural being stories, you like teen girl superhero stories, you are definitely going to want to check this out. Uh, so that is Where Girl and Chimera by C.D. Bell. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, and the next question is from Jenna, who says, I'm trying to find books for my 11-year-old daughter, Kathy, to read, but I'm a bit stumped. She's a voracious reader and well above a usual 11-year-old's reading level. This, just to be clear, isn't me being an annoying mom who likes to talk about my how special my daughter is. Yeah. She just happens to be ahead in reading. She's read and loved Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Prissy Jackson. She just read my copy of Miss of Avalon and now has an obsession with Arthurian legend. I'm having a bit of trouble finding books for her. She's been reading adult books and I'm very lax about what she's allowed to read and watch um, but I would like to find her some age appropriate books as well because I think it's important for her to read about characters her age to relate to. Everything we've been looking for together either doesn't interest her or she finds condescending. Any ideas? I think some historical fiction would be good but I just don't know what to look for. Alright Amanda, what you got? Okay, I went with No Good Deed by Kara Connolly, which is history and knights and archery and time travel. Yay! Um, it's a young adult novel. The main character is um, 17, I think, 16 or 17. Um, so it's a little bit older than your daughter, but I think that she will really enjoy this if she likes that sort of Arthurian historical stuff. So the main character's name is Ellie, and she is a front runner to be on the U.S. Olympic archery team. She has to qualify at the trials, which are in Nottingham in England. So she travels there with her family and um, is, like, walking around the town in between her trials um, and, you know, looking... Just being a tourist, basically. And then she spots something strange, and she follows the thing that she thinks that she sees, which I'm not going to tell you because it's kind of a giveaway, um, under the into one of these like tunnels that is under the castle, Nottingham Castle. Yes, that Nottingham Castle. And then when she comes up out of the castle, not finding the thing that she thought that she saw that was going down there, she is suddenly in the Middle Ages, um, which is awkward because she has an iPhone and <laughs> is a, a girl in jeans and like an underwire bra. And so, of course, her, you know, which she thinks, you know, you, she comes out of the, the, the tunnel thinking, oh, I have stumbled into some sort of living history thing. But then she looks up and there's like a head on a pike and people chasing her and trying to kill her. Um, so she immediately gets on the wrong side of the reeve of Nottingham, um, of Sherwood Forest, Sherwood Forest. So, you know, the sure. Reeve is the sheriff of Nottingham. You see what's happening here. Um, and then she uses her archery skills to defend herself and to make friends and to feed herself. And she like gets really involved in all the local politics and injustices that are happening, which if you're familiar with 
Um, you know, the Sherwood Forest, I don't probably need to tell you that what this is is a gender flipped Robin Hood story where she becomes Robin Hood, um, the historical figure of Robin Hood. And it's really fun when you're reading this, if you have any familiarity with the Robin Hood stories, to like pick out which side characters are going to become like Little John and Friar Tuck. Um, she has a little bit of a romance. Um, sort of with uh, a knight who's just come back from the Crusades. But the fun thing about this book is that it's like very into the historical details. It's also very into the archery details. So like the things that she has to do to string a bow and like creating her own finger wraps and like the tension how and the differences between like the bow that she uses in, you know, the year 2017 versus the bow that she has to find and use in the Middle Ages and like how she sights targets and all this kind of stuff. Like I found all that stuff really fascinating. But it's also very political. Like, it gets very deep into the politics of uh, what was happening between, like, Richard the Lionhearted and King John, or Prince John at the time, and then their mother, who was Eleanor of Aquitaine, and, like, all of that. She gets, like, really embroiled in all this, not local, because it was geopolitical at that time, but in all of the politics of what's going on. Um, but at the same time, it's just a super fast-paced, fun fantasy read. So I think that an 11-year-old who's above her reading level but really likes knights will enjoy this. Um, so that's No Good Deed by Kara Connolly. I've got to read that book. It's like you, so I'm here for all of what you just said. It's so fun. I love, it is very, um, it is not a diverse book at mm. all, uh, which was, but I still, it was still great. It was great. Amazing. Okay. Uh, so I picked a straight up historical fiction middle grade series for you. It's the Seeds of America trilogy by Lori Hal Sanderson. I think a lot of you will be familiar with her YA books, but she's also written this amazing middle grade history series. Um, the first book is called Chains. And it's set during the Revolutionary War, but it is about a 13-year-old named Isabel who is a slave. Um, she and her sister were promised that they would be set free upon the death of their owner, but instead they become the property of this really awful couple uh, in New York City, the Locktons, who have zero sympathy for the American Revolution and like are like are not interested in being good. I mean, not that you could be a good slave owner, but they're awful. Like, they are just awful. Um, so Ruth and Isabel are in this terrible situation. And then she meets a slave named Curzon, who also has ties to the Patriots. Um, and he encourages her to spy on her owners because they know details of the British plans for the invasion. And so she's like, I, my life is terrible. Like, and now you want me to be a spy? Like, I could get caught. This is awful. Um, but she, some things happen. Not going to say what, because spoilers. And she, like, realizes that this is what she's going to do. And what's so amazing about this series is not that many people people think about slaves during the Revolutionary War, right? Like, but slaves didn't like magically appear right before the Civil War. Like they've been part of America from the very beginning. Um, and what this book does is look at like a time period that you think you know a lot about from a very different perspective. And I guess I should like say full disclosure that I know Lori Hell Sanderson personally and like have done some freelance work for her, but whatever, like she is an award, like this is a national yeah. book award <laughs> finalist. Like I'm not recommending her cause I like her. Like I'm recommending her cause these books are amazing. Plus I also like her. Yeah. Um, so I think these, I mean, they definitely do not talk down to children. They deal with real issues, but they are written specifically for that age group. So I think this would be a really great series for your daughter to get into. So that is Chains, which is the 
first in the Seeds of America series by Lori Hall Sanderson. Okay, our next question is from Kat, who says, I'm in such a reading slip at the moment, and I'm hoping you can help. I had such a good reading year last year, but since January, nothing is clicking with me. Could you suggest some books for getting out of a slump? I'm open to any genre except horror. If it helps, some books that I loved in 2015 were Spinster by Kate Bollock, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, A Fair Fight by Anna Freeman, and The Queen of the Tearling. Okay, I sort of latched onto Spencer, <laughs> Spencer here and a fair fight. Um, Spencer is Kate Bollock's memoir based around like books that she has really loved that like shaped her life, and then a fair fight is this kind of regency book about boxing. Anyway, I took those things and kind of mushed them together and came up with My Life in Middlemarch um, by Re- Rebecca Mead, which in a similar way to Spencer is a lot about um, one woman's or how one woman's life was shaped by a particular book or series of books. And in this case, of course, it is Middlemarch by George Eliot. Um, So it's a really kind of fascinating and well done combination of Rebecca Mead's like personal biography and how her life has mirrored the the life of George Eliot and how she her the, the various rereadings of Middlemarch that she's done throughout her life have shaped the decisions that she's made and the life that she's made for herself. But it is also, aside from that, it is also very much a biography of George Eliot, who um, was a weird person. <laughs> like, not, not like personally weird, but she lived a very odd life. Like she was, you know, it was Victorian England. She was in a real, she was an atheist, first of all, which what? And then she was involved in a, she was a, like a long-term romantic relationship with a man who was married. Like they lived together, which double what? Just a lot of stuff. She, of course, published under a man's name. Um, Victoria Woolf famously described Middlemarch as, what was it? Uh, one of the only English novels written for adults or, <laughs> for or something like that. Zing a zing. Accurate. Yeah. I mean, Middlemarch is one of my favorite novels. I've always described it as what happens. It's like a Jane Austen novel, but what happens after the end of a Jane Mm. Austen novel, like after Mm. everyone is married and then starts to hate each other a little bit and like have kids and not be so into their jobs and family drama and all that kind of stuff. Um, So this is in the same way of Spinster, like kind of a deep dive into a reader's life, um, but is also really just an interesting book about one of the most uh, beloved works of the Western canon. Um, but it's not super long. So I know you're doing this to like get out of a reading slump. So I'm not going to give you this like historical dusty tome about Victoriana. Um, but it's very conversational and engaging. And um, since you are kind of slumping right now, you can put it down, pick it up as you see fit. But I think that it's engaging enough to really wrap you into it. So that's My Life in Middlemarch by Rebecca Mead. Awesome. I saw Queen of the Tearling on that list. And I know for me, um, I always am best able to break a reading slump with something that's like very actiony and quick. So I picked for you 27 Hours by Tristina Wright, which was one of the most fun reading experiences I had this past year. Um, it takes place in a future where humanity has like colonized a bunch of space, like space areas. <laughs> and um, on this particular planet, there were beings already on the planet that humanity has basically treated as like dangerous monster beasts. Um, They have not uh, like treated them as if they were sentient or in any way like, you know, worth trying to coexist with, generally speaking. Um, There are some communities of humans who do live sort of side by side with these, they call them gargoyles and hellhounds. Um, But most of humanity is like, you know, there are walls and there are military and there are guns and they like the students and kids are trained to fight these monsters from very young age. 
So the book opens with a young man named Rumor, who is like a good fighter. Um, and he and his father are training, and um, there is suddenly a huge like invasion, basically, of the monsters. And Rumor has to escape. Um, he gets super injured, and he is trying to make it to the next settlement um, to warn them like what is happening, and also about the behavior of these creatures, because it suddenly seems like maybe they are intelligent after all, and that is not what he has been raised to believe. Um, and so the whole book takes place, as you might guess, within 27 hours, and it is like the queer teens in space have to save the world adventure that you didn't know you wanted, but you really, really do. Um, I really loved all of the characters. You get to switch perspectives between the characters, and they all are so different, um, but their friendship is so real, and it is just, it's so much fun. There's magic, there's, like, space science, there's a lot of action, um, and I just, I got totally sucked in, and, like, you know, hours later, I was like, wait, what time is it? Like, what's happening? Um, so it really is a book that just feels immersive and like pulls you right along into the story. It is the first in a series, I will warn you. And at the end, you're like, okay, well, that's nice that that got wrapped up, but I need to know what happens next. <laughs> um, so you will be awaiting the next one. But sometimes that's okay. So, yes, if you are interested in, like, super action-packed science fiction plus magic plus space plus monsters plus queer teenagers, like, this is a book for you. So that's 27 Hours by Tristina Wright. And our last question is from Raven, who says, I am a huge fan of the Gilmore Girls, and I was wondering if you guys know of any books that give the same overall feeling as the show, the fast-paced language, the quirky characters, and small-town feeling, intelligent women, etc. I am open to any and all genres. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> okay. I went with a very on-the-nose suggestion here and picked Lauren Graham's memoir about being in the Gilmore Girls. So it's talking as fast as I can from Gilmore Girls to Gilmore Girls and everything in between. So this is a memoir -y collection of essays uh, by Lauren Graham, who of course plays Lorelai on the Gilmore Girls, the mother. Um, and so this is like covering the period. Well, it covers a lot of her life. It, she talks about like growing up, um, her childhood, coming to Hollywood, trying to make it, being a working woman in Hollywood, all that sort of thing. Her like her dating life. Um, and there's a really funny part about how, like, she tries not to meet men at award shows because she's already <laughs> setting the bar too high. Like, I've been in makeup for three hours. This is not what you can expect from me on a day-to-day -day basis, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, but the parts that are relevant to your interests are she covers um, her experience doing the first set of filming on Gilmore Girls. So, like, you know, the 10 whatever seasons that it was. Um, she sits down and, like marathon like binge watches the entire show which I don't think I could listen to my own voice that much mm, mm. Uh, for that long but she binge watches the whole show and then writes a lot about reflecting on that first experience and then of course as you know Netflix just did a new season of the Gilmore Girls uh, last year earlier this year I don't remember um, and so she talks about that also so nine years after the first season or the, the first show ended she came back to that same role uh, and reprised it. And so she's talking about that experience. And then also in between that, she made Parenthood, which is another really popular show. So she talks a lot about her experiences on Parenthood um, also. But, you know, she talks as fast as she can. And it's exactly like quirky characters, small town feeling, intelligent women, fast paced language. There you go. So, yeah, enjoy. That's Talking As Fast As I Can by Lauren Graham. Ta-da. Um, okay, I'm using my last mention of Young Jane Young by Gabrielle Zevin to recommend this to you. Like, this is, but I mean, we're almost to the end of the year, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this book is like, 
Oh, it, I felt like it was so perfect for this question because it is about a single mom. It is about a single mom in a small town. Um, it is about a girl who is trying to figure out like what her family history is and like where she came from. And it does, it is, it's told from three perspectives. It's from um, the like mother slash grandmother and then the woman who is a single mom and then her daughter. And all of them are so smart and like have such great voice. Like they all have a very different voice and you really just sort of fall in love with them. And like, they don't have necessarily the easiest family dynamics. Like it has all of those things that were for me, what would made Gilmore girls so great. Like that, like family, like drama and struggle and like also being clever and quippy. Like, I feel like it is all just like, it's right in here. Um, the overall plot is that uh, the main character, Aviva Grossman, was a like post-college congressional intern who has an affair with her boss um, and like blogged in a way she thought was secret about it, except not so much. Um, yeah. And so it all came out. The congressman, of course, was fine, but Aviva's life was basically ruined. And uh, and it's about like what happens to women like after that. Like what happens after that story hits the air? Like what do you do with your life? Who do you become? How do you deal with a world that like knows all of your dirty laundry and has cast you in the villain in this situation? Um, and it's just, I just, I thought it was so good. It's so readable. The characters are so real. Like I just, I, yeah, I think this, I think this will like give you a lot of the same feels. So that's Young Jane Young by Gabrielle Zevin. And that's our show. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier to find. Um, thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram mostly at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen, tell the people. You can find me on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.